All right, Action Alerts Plus members, happy to have another uh, AAP podcast to share my thoughts and insights with you, as well as some conversations with some good friends, thought leaders, and subject matter experts. Joining me today is longtime friend Sal Gilberti from Tucrium. Uh, we actually had a conversation for you all just about, I think, a little more than a year ago, and I'm happy to have Sal back on. Um, if you missed that conversation, I think you'll enjoy this one. Topics are going to be kind of similar. Uh, we want to talk about what's going on in the ag sector of the economy, given the, the ETFs and other funds that Sal and Tucrium have. He's a wonderful guest, a wonderful fellow, always insightful, Sal, or as I like to call you, Farmer Sal, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure, Chris. You, you make you, That's a wonderful introduction. Thank you. I, and I didn't have it written. I just made it up. Imagine that, huh? <laughs> really nice. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Sal, so as I alluded to, you and I have been speaking, you know, kind of on and off again for a long time. We've run into each other a couple of times at different conferences and things like that. And I always value um, our conversations because I always walk away learning something. And um, you know, just to be upfront in the Action Alerts Plus portfolio, we own shares of Deer. You know, so we're always paying attention to uh, the top three ag commodities in terms of price and demand. You know, corn, wheat, soybeans. You know, we also like Deer because of uh, what those commodity prices have meant of late, and hopefully will c continuing forward for farmer income, the replacement cycle, all while talking about the upgrade cycle as well towards precision ag. So that's these are some of the things that we want to talk about, but we also want to get your insights uh, about what you're seeing in the grain markets, because I know you think about it like the farmer does, given your family history, but you also tend to monitor what's going on outside the U.S. and thinking about its impacts on the global markets. So um, that's a lot, Sal, but where would you like to get started? What's most interesting to you right now? I think the the ag markets in general, and and again, you just laid it out, corn, soybeans, and wheat are the big ones. And we, we, we do focus on those. And the natural, just a review for everyone who may not be following us regularly, the natural state of, of those ags is to trade at their cost of production, at or near their cost of production. And that's because farmers are subsidized around the world. So the way a lot of people tend to allocate to these commodities is when they're flatlined. And you can see that on the futures curve. It just, it just goes flat. And the old break-even used to be the futures equivalent of about $3.50 a bushel, say, for corn. And when you, when you see it trading there for a year or two or three, you kind of layer some into your portfolio. That's what people tend to do. And they wait. And there's an expression, wait, W-E-I-G-H-T, wait, w -E -I -G -H -T, wait. W -E -I -G -H -T. <laughs> drought out. So it's wait, wait, drought out. Because if you look back in history over the last 15 years, three times the corn market has gone from that 350 area in futures to above $7, three times. And it, it goes back when farmers respond to those high prices. It, the ags are a beautiful uh, example of commodity cyclicality where they're production and demand driven. And that's why I do them because that's easy stuff. And my mind is, is a simple mind. And so, oh, stop it. It's, stop it's, it. Look, supply and demand is a lot easier to figure out than, than management and, and latest inventions and things like that. There's either enough or there's not enough. And that's that's how commodities work. And it really works that way in ags. And in ags, um, what happens is um, there's always enough. But most of the time when you're flatlined, there's plenty. So everybody knows there's there's what we're going to we're going to grow a certain mm -hmm, amount. Mm -hmm. We're going to use a part of that, not all of it generally. 
okay? And there's always an inventory that, that's left over from the year prior. And that, that inventory is pretty stable in, in the United States, just as an example in wheat, you generally have about six months left over. So that, that, that's the ending stocks, it's about six months worth. Well, now we're down to about four months worth. And that's happened because something very unique has happened. And that is that um, once in a while, the combined production of corn, soybeans, and wheat globally is exceeded by its demand. And that happens occasionally. And that's when you see those prices kind of double, go from that 350 area in futures to $7. And that's where people get their performance from, you know, wait, wait, drought out. And, and that ags are a great portfolio diversifier because they operate on their own fundamentals. And so, you know, they zig when the stock market zags. But, so, so there's fundamentals, but there's also uh, global trade, right? Because of what oh. happened over the last year with the Russia-Ukraine war, obviously, uh, we look at Ukraine and what they do on the export market. That's having some impact, correct? It, indeed. And, and in fact, so three years ago, China had bad weather. Um, two years ago, the there were there there basically was the war broke out. Call it, it's going on two crop years now. Okay, it's one 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 and a half approaching calendar years, and and then this year we've had terrible weather in Bra in in southern Brazil and Argentina, um, and so you've had three weather events in three different crop years, which means we've used globally combined more soybeans and wheat combined. Okay, each individual one's a little different each year. Um, than we've produced. And that's why prices are well above their cost of production for a third year in a row. And I don't ever remember this happening. And this year marks 40 years since I started at Cargill trading. So I, I've been doing this a long time. And I remember, you know, one year where we've used more than we produced. I remember two consecutive years. That's happened a couple of times, never three years in a row. And, and so we need good weather. We, it's bound to happen. Everybody's betting on it happen this year. You've seen grains top. You see them kind of going sideways and they, they find some stability with with Russian Ukrainian news mm -hmm, here and there. Mm -hmm. Okay. But by and large, grains should head back down toward their cost of production. Now we don't know where that is. The old 350, I don't know, it's it's well above that now with inflation and fertilizer prices and things like that. So it may be 420, it may be 450. I don't know. We'll see where that settles out on a futures equivalent basis. But we're still well above that. So to your point with deer and other things, farmers are going to make a lot of money again this year, assuming they get that crop planted, they get good weather, and they either hedge or sell their unhedged product before the price heads back down. So right now, we're in, it's right around uh, mid Entering, entering the second half of April, um, correct me if I'm wrong, we're, we're kind of in the middle of the spring planting season for certain crops, right? Yeah, we're just getting started in the Northern Hemisphere. We're, we're probably by the time you air this in another week or two, yes, absolutely. Um, we will be in the, in the midst of heavy corn and soybeans, corn planting for sure. Um, remember, wheat's, most of the wheat's planted in the winter. Winter wheat is planted in the autumn. It grows a little bit and then sleeps all winter and wakes up in the spring and is harvested in, in midsummer. And so um, we'll be in the midst of corn planting, and you've got to watch that. We, we as a base case at Tucrium believe that you're bound to get good weather eventually. We've had, you know, two years of bad weather and one year of a war. I mean, come on. So it, we're hoping and praying literally for good weather around the world. Kind of get 
start to be a problem. And again, people don't go hungry because there isn't enough. They go hungry because of politics and doesn't get where it wants. Hey, hey Sal, you, you just kind of froze for a second. I, I know from time to time when we tape these things, we can have a little bit of a glitch. Can I, I, I just want to back you up. You were saying okay. you guys are hoping and praying for good weather. If you could pick mm-hmm. it up right there, that would be sure. great. We at Tucrim are hoping and praying literally for good weather around the globe, because what we don't want is another year where we use more of these products than we produce, because now inventories are kind of getting tight and people people don't go hungry because there there isn't enough. They go hungry because the price is too high and the price gets too high because there isn't as much as we'd like to see as a cushion. Right. So I, I want to liken this a little bit to the uh, Strategic uh, Petroleum Reserve, the SPR, right, which we ran down. And the question is, when are we going to refill it? This is a question that the White House is contemplating. Maybe it's this year, maybe it's not. But at some point, these ending stocks need to be built back up, correct? They do. And in, in ags, it's not a matter of, of timing. It's a matter of as soon as the price goes back down. The price will go back down because we're building the stocks up. Okay, grains have a really tight balance, and you can't store them almost indefinitely like you can oil and salt caverns in the SPR. Grains have a three to five year limit depending on on your storage, and so there's there's a problem um, if you go too many years in a row using more than you produce. Right. So you just say okay. Uh, so I'm I'm looking at the timing, and I have to wonder. Is, is it possible to return the stocks to more normalized levels with one bumper crop year, or does it take more than that? Because um, the reason I ask is because we're continuing to consume, correct? Correct. You never stop. That's what makes ag so interesting as a portfolio diversifier. They, they, you just keep, the demand just keeps growing, and no pun intended, and, and producers have to grow more than the demand is. And normally that happens. It hasn't happened for three years. Will this be the year we turn the corner globally? We hope so. And will it? Th- so here's here's how it works. This year, after the northern hemisphere's growing season, or well into it, so deep late summer, we will understand if we're going to have a decent crop across the northern hemisphere and that will loosen up prices okay because we will start to project that we will rebuild those stocks critically i don't think we'll get back to the cost of production ending the current one we need to to end it harvest it plant which we're doing now the northern hemispheres harvest it get a good crop and then next year which you're talking eight months from now when they start planting again in in south america and southern hemisphere that needs to be a good crop and then we'll get back to normal cost of production okay so um let, let me just see if i can uh sneak a question in here because i know that during the summer right we get all sorts of updates from the usda you know crop reports this is look this is looking healthy we're we're adjusting prices move back and forth so it, it sounds like once we exit the planting season, until we begin the harvesting season, there's a lot of, you know, uh, I don't want to say hopium, right? But there's a lot of, let's, you know, uh, expectations kind of move around a little bit, but we don't really know for sure what we're looking to see until we begin the uh, harvesting season, correct? Correct. And there's a lot of static. And and here's what you do. If you look back on a chart, a spot continuation chart of, say, corn, all right, you will notice that every time a spike in grain prices, barring the Russian-Ukrainian war, every time a spike in grain prices began and ran, it happened in July. 
It happens in the beginning of July because that's when you see the weather forecast for the rest of the summer. That and that's critical corn pollination time across the northern hemisphere. That's when things start. And the true seasonal is you hit your low on a corn seasonal, okay, on spot spot corn prices, in October first, first week of October, because that's peak harvest. There's corn all over the place, so people get really comfortable. But then guess what? The rest of the year, if you isolate yourself to the northern hemisphere, the corn's grown. There's a big pile. Every day you take out of that pile. All winter when nothing's growing. All spring when you're planting, but it's not harvestable. All summer when it's maturing, but it's not harvestable. And at the end of autumn, until it's harvested, you have to go that complete year in order to add to the pile. And so people get really nervous, you know, late winter. So you see the seasonal, you see the, the spot seasonal of corn kind of bottoms in October, kind of rises until about March pretty steadily. And then, and then it flatlines March to May, June. And then you see the weather. And if you think there's going to be good weather, it goes back down. And again, that's built into the futures curve. It's really hard to trade. What, what an investor who's an allocator really does is that, again, the weight, weight drought out. When you're flatlined, you add some to your portfolio. It's got limited downside because it's at its cost of production. It's not going to hurt you too badly. But if it doubles, if you put 1% of your portfolio, which you've had advisors call us and say they did. We bought, you know, your corn plant and we put 1% in our portfolio and it didn't do anything for four years. And then I got this huge pop and, <laughs> and it made my portfolio look pretty good that year. Okay, great. Good for you. That's why we, we put these products out there. Okay. But that's how people are allocating. The traders are going to pay attention to the static, the reports that you just mentioned, because people get nervous in the spring. Is it too wet? Can farmers get in? Is it too, there's all kinds of variables. Cut to the chase, wait, wait, drought out. That's right. Okay. Okay. So you, you, your comments were really focused on the North American market. Is there anything, and you mentioned Brazil a, minute, a couple of minutes ago, um, is there anything on the international front that's kind of catching your eye that you're tuning into on your radar screen, if you will, um, that could either help or hurt the global stock situation that you were describing? Sure. I think that the harm done with bad weather in Argentina and their soybeans uh, is already done and priced into the market. So that's this year's harvest. And I think we can only expect that weather will be better in South America next year. So looking at the Southern hemisphere, odds are they have to have a better better year than they had last year because last year was terrible for Southern Brazil and, and, and uh, Argentina. So I'd bet, on, I'd bet on better weather and higher, higher production coming out of those areas next season. Okay, not this season, next season, because okay. they've already got the edge. In North America, the fear is a, a drought. That's your big fear. If that comes, that leads things off. But but the things internationally outside of North America are obviously South American weather right now, primary, and and the the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, where that's a fundamental thing everybody's analyzing, as are we. Okay, but but Ukraine is is being disabled. They are the number one exporter of sunseed products, meaning sunflower seeds, meaning sunflower oil, okay? They are the number one uh, exporter of corn to China, or they were, okay? And Russia doesn't grow much corn and they don't export any viable amount of corn. So that those two exports are gone and they're not coming back anytime soon because Russia's not gonna end this war anytime soon. So now what do we have left is wheat. Well, the combined you know, Russian, Ukrainian wheat exports are gargantuan. They put those two together. They dwarf everybody else's exports. They're really important. Russia's got plenty of wheat. 
and they want to export it. And it's the most affordable wheat in the world right now. But there are all kinds of shipping issues and, and things like that and payment issues because of the restrictions put on them. So the food tends to get exempt in any conflict throughout world history. You exempt food from, from tariffs and, and all kinds of things. We kind of we're going off the rails with that a little bit here with this one. But Russia's got the wheat everybody needs and Russia's going to figure out a way to move that and people are going to figure out a way to buy it. So the, what's what you need to factor in is the loss of Ukrainian production, which is significant, but it, that's more of an impactful for, for the, um, cooking oils, basically, and corn and corn. Products. OK, all right. Um, OK, now outside of the big three. Right. I know you guys have a sugar product, but there was something else I was reading about, which is rice. And I don't know how how tuned you are into the rice market, but it looks like there's going to be a global shortage. Rice is very interesting because rice is the only thing that kept there from being a total global food crisis during the, the, the last uh, couple of years when when the price of corn and wheat went up and soybeans because there was always enough rice. Rice, we have not packaged rice in an ETF because rice is very unique. It is it is rarely exported. It's, it's really traded cost cross border other than its immediate neighbors. So rice is not a very big international market like corn, beans, and wheat. So it, it's really hard to package up in, in something that people can trade. Um, interestingly enough though, um, I think that, that rice, if there is a shortage of rice, that's gonna underpin the, the price of all the other foodstuffs because obviously rice is a staple food for, for a good part of the world. So that's really important, but it's hard to trade. It's hard to trade. Okay, so just, you know, the one other question I wanted to ask you, and I think your comment on rice kind of leads us into it is just inflation. Because it seems as if that if we're having rice as hitting a shortage, we've got some concerns with some of the other crops. Um, inflation, you know, in my opinion, and we've seen this in the data, particularly the core CPI, it's been very sticky, 5.5 to 5.6% in the March quarter. Um, do you see this component uh, helping improve in the coming quarters the year-over-year -year data that we're seeing for food prices? Do you see them coming down, Sal? I see food prices coming down. I think commodity-based inflation is over. I think that the primary cause of inflation now is 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 what ignited everything and that's too much money chasing too few goods commodity producers have responded to the best of their ability farmers are producing as much as they can where the weather cooperates um oil's coming out of the ground natural gas is coming out of the ground i mean producers produce that's what they do um supplies react to the high prices you've already seen that i think that commodity the root of inflation now, it cannot be traced back to commodities. It, it may be sticky if certain commodities here and there, especially energy, the number one commodity, stays high. But I, I, I think that you're talking too much money chasing too few goods. Remember, during QE, okay, there were years of that with trillions of dollars, but inflation didn't ignite. to keep the banks doing business as usual. The moment COVID hit and you stuck a trillion dollars directly into people's checking accounts, everything exploded because people actually had money to spend. That was beyond the business as usual QE. Okay, that was right, real right. money. And that ignited inflation. That's a problem. 
So you don't see China reopening and incremental demand there being a problem for these commodities, do you? I, I maybe temporarily a little bit. We, you know, we're getting numbers that China's really reawakening. And, and I guess the biggest number was for jewelry and precious metals. People bought high-end stuff. And okay, great. But the markets are going to, commodities markets are in gear right now. Their issues of their production issues, they're, they're maxed out. So yeah, there might be a little blip as China comes back full bore with demand, but commodity producers are responding and it's okay. Okay, so let me let, let me see if I can kind of re recap what we were talking about. So um, we started talking off that some of the world stocks are you know lower than they have been over the last few years. We see farmers doing all that they can from a production perspective. We're in the middle of the planting season. So we really won't know the, the degree to which those ending stocks will approach normalized levels until sometime in the fall, late spring for wheat, fall for some other commodities. Fair? Correct. Or late summer, early fall for the other commodities. That's right. Okay. Okay. And and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you it sounds like you do expect farmer income to be uh, robust yet again. I We would. Now, that depends on the, the, how quickly the markets correct downward if there are good crops. So farmers, the guys that are hedged, they're going to be fine. The ones that are unhedged, they they may think they're going to have a good season until they go to sell. And, you know, we'll see. That's a typical farmer error. There, there are fewer and fewer farmers making that mistake, but it still happens. Okay. Okay. And then uh, you mentioned fertilizers earlier. Any thoughts on the fertilizer market? Too early to tell? I, you know, fertilizer prices have come down. They're still really elevated. They're already priced in for this season. So hopefully they'll come way down for next season. Fertilizer is a big lag effect. So the, the, the fertilizer price damage is already done for this year's crop. Uh, as let's hope fertilizer comes down for the next six months as as people price stuff out and get it for South American um, uh, applications in you know six eight months from now. Okay. And any thoughts on precision ag, Sal? Uh, I love it. I think it's astounding. You know, go to go to YouTube and watch any number of farmer videos showing how they're using these things, and and I think it's amazing. And I think Precision Ag and and uh, is is has taken over for genetic engineering of, of plants, and that's what's feeding the world. That's what's that's what's allowing us to keep up because we're barely keeping up with production. We are barely keeping up, even though we're producing so much more than we ever have. We're barely keeping up with with population growth and the use of these ags. They're not just consumed for food anymore. And so, you know, ags have a big, big use, especially with alternative energy and things like that. So um, I, I precision ag is is the future, no doubt about it. And um, putting your farmer hat on, okay. When you think about precision ag, what what is it that is the greatest attraction? Do you think is it is it the greater yield, the lower use of fertilizer, pesticides? Well, okay, it's all of the above. Greater yields and and lower use of inputs it means lower costs, higher profits. So everybody's going after higher profits, and and <laughs> the first way to get that is with bigger yields with affordable inputs and and. As the technology is priced, you know, becomes scalable and is priced lower and lower, and farmers farmers apply it and get used to using it, it can only help. It can only help everyone. Okay. And you said something a second ago about precision ag versus genetic engineering. I know that there's a far greater awareness on uh, GMOs and the move away from GMOs. Um, do you see that only accelerating? Well, um, you know, GMO is a tough one because you say the move away, but more countries are approving and giving waivers to GMO products than not. 
So I think GMOs being more widely accepted internationally because we don't, you know, we, we don't have the, the supplies of food we've been accustomed to. I don't want to say we don't have enough, but we certainly people are getting nervous. So there, there are waivers in there, you know, places like Mexico, who's really drawn a hard line on GMO, yet some of the negotiations are to allow GMO crops in China putting waivers on, on GMO, you know, GMO crops to, to, to be able to import. People are, are waiving the restrictions more than adding restrictions to GMO because oh. we need the food. Interesting. Okay. All right, Sal, as always, super informative. Uh, always appreciate your time. Before we get out of here, any one thing we didn't talk about that we should? We didn't talk about AI. We didn't talk about artificial intelligence, and that's the future of investing. And we 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 actually have opened two long short funds um, that take advantage of that in the ag center seg, sector and the base metals sector. Um, and I would encourage people to to um, look at these things that are more market neutral alpha products, where as the stock market gets really uncertain and people don't know you know what's going to happen, there are other products that can make money in both up and down and sideways markets, and people should should have a look at those. So we encourage people to do that. So Sal, I got to ask. I opened up mentioning John Deere in the AAP portfolio. Is Deere in that AI product that you mentioned for ag? Uh, the, the we just trade the commodities themselves, so okay. we don't trade the, the 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 stocks. We trade actually the the actual commodities on a long short. It's more a hedge fund strategy packaged into an index, packaged into an ETF. That's what we've done. It's a lot of packaging, Sal. It is. Yeah. Okay. It Excellent, Sal Gilberti. Always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, we will do this again, Sal. I hope so. It's fun. Thanks, Chris.